Welcome to the Subtle Cane Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Smith, broadcasting from the Aorta of America, beautiful festival city, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, where we pump out reason and pierce through the propaganda. Here we go. Today is Sunday, February 26, 2023. Even as we collectively march forward along the road to dystopia, there are still many things to be grateful for. Not least of which, for me, is you. It's a slow roll, but despite my lack of advertising and avoidance of social media, I've seen steady consistency in the worst of times and a remarkable growth in fits and starts as we go. I want to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to tune in and and share some of your valuable time with me. We only get so much. It's an honor and it is a privilege. This is episode 46 of the Subtle Cane Podcast, Under the Sun. We live in a fast-paced world and attention spans are lacking, mine included. I know how tempting it is to scroll through feeds and find the next new thing. The thrill of novelty in excess is like any other addiction. It's all about chasing the dragon, man. I remember when I first got sober. I had lived for a long time, always restless, always seeking the next thing. I was anxious and fidgety, especially on weekends. If I wasn't out on the town, I had this irrational fear that I was missing something. I had that same feeling, honestly, initially, when I got off of social media, and that counts for even recently when I, with my short-lived experiment on Twitter, it took quite a while to, to get used to just being okay with sitting at home and watching a movie or reading a book. And I think that's how uh, many of us feel now, many of us, in our lives, when it comes to information in general. We have this input addiction, and input addiction has taken our society captive, and, and the more inflammatory and scandalous, violent or sexualized it is, the better, right? I mean, let's be honest. One can hardly find something interesting to watch on any of the streaming services anymore that isn't chock full of violence, sex, or agenda-driven content. Hollywood's just given up the ghost as far as I'm concerned. It can be really hard. It can be really, really hard to, to just slow down and let our minds recover from the onslaught of trauma and amusement. This causes no end to our anxiety, depression, as well as physical and emotional fatigue that comes from it. Not that long ago, relatively speaking, as a species, people generally had to physically exhaust themselves working and tending to their fields and flocks. Their bodies were stronger and their minds were less distracted. They had calloused hands and many hours a day to think about life. Those days are gone for most of us in the developed world. We have much too much free time, and not nearly enough of it is spent in quiet contemplation. Sure, we're busy. We're busy all the time. But we're, we're busy the same way a fly is, caught behind the blinds of a window. We're not overly productive, but we're very, very busy. All that is to say that I hope that when you take a few minutes out of your day to listen to this podcast, that it is not anxiety-provoking. Sure, some of the topics are less than soothing, that's granted, but it is my sincere desire that the pace and presentation 
allows you to at least take a breath and, and ponder the material before getting yanked back into the maelstrom of modern life. That's my hope. Today, I'm going to be discussing equity, equality, and the inherent eugenic focus of social Darwinism. There is a question that can be presumed whenever someone attempts to enter the arena of ideas. On what authority do you speak? When someone like myself dares to enter the public square to raise questions or challenge narratives, it can be particularly tempting to immediately dismiss them if they can't produce the accepted credentials. Let me ask a question. Is that the best method for discovering truth? It's a legitimate question. There are several factors at play. For instance, does it make sense to ask for medical advice from a bricklayer? For that matter, would it make sense to ask bricklaying advice from a medical doctor? Either way, there's likely to be a medical emergency involved. We can't all be experts in everything, so it means that some of us have to spend more time learning about specific areas of interest in order to facilitate the complex societal structures we have. The RN, for instance, after my name on my badge at work, says that I have a certain level of proficiency in education in order to be trusted to work as a registered nurse. That doesn't make me infallible or give me the right to decide for you what you should or shouldn't do. It does mean that there's a set of skills and knowledge that I've demonstrated a certain level of competency in that's formally recognized. That's my field of expertise, if you will. Does that mean that I shouldn't be able to question what I'm told or want to educate myself on topics outside of my formal training? Of course not. And you should not be made to feel like you're crazy or irresponsible when you want to exercise your own judgment and weigh the available evidence about whatever topic you're interested in. You will notice that I ask a lot of rhetorical questions. I like to use the Socratic method to investigate topics of interest to me. When I make arguments, I do so in an attempt to reveal truth, not as an authoritative proclamation. We should all feel free to put forward propositions and ask for reasonable explanations to the questions that we pose. Specialization is highly beneficial. Modern life is impossible without it. That's granted. It relies on compartmentalization and specialization. I've talked about this before. Standardization is also of astounding importance to modern life. It allows for mass production and automation. These elements are crucial to supporting our highly urbanized way of living. Can you imagine what it would be like if we all had to separately try and figure out how to fix our cars or produce and transport all our food? I will note here again that technology is always a two-edged sword, and these methods in and of themselves are technologies. We may not always think of expertise or processes like manufacturing as technologies, but they are. The Spanish philosopher George Santanana is credited with saying, quote, Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Winston Churchill said something very similar in the course of history has attested to the wisdom of this particular aphorism time and again. I remember visiting my old philosophy professor one day as he was grading papers in his office, and we started discussing whether the world was really a much more dangerous place now than it had been in the past. The point of contention being that the world may very well be a much more safe place for us, but because of the predominantly negative focus of the media and the massive increase in access to that negative information, 
it might just feel like it's a much more dangerous place. You could make a very good argument for that. But it's an almost impossible question to answer with any real accuracy. Because how do you quantify danger or, or know what the change really was? There, there are entirely too many variables at play to make any sense of it. But it was an interesting thought experiment. Just food for thought. Another question that was brought up was whether there was any validity to the great Wiseman Solomon's statement, There is nothing new under the sun. In the book of Ecclesiastes 1.9, Solomon, if in fact Solomon was the author, says this, quote, What has been is what will be, and what has been done will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. End quote. The good professor smiled broadly, uh, presented me with his flip phone and said, See this? This is new. Obviously, this conversation took place a few years ago, as evidenced by said flip phone. But I had to admit that Solomon likely didn't have a flip phone 3,000 years ago. His point was made. Cell phones are new. Lots and lots of things are new. Of course, he knew it was a weak argument because it intentionally disregarded the context of the statement. But he liked playing these games. Uh, Nothing new under the sun was obviously not meant to be taken literally in the material sense. Solomon was right in his appraisal of humanity, in my opinion. At least a very good argument can be made that the motives and the nature of the human species have not changed in any truly meaningful ways since Solomon ruled. Even the most zealous of Darwinists must admit to a certain amount of consistency in human behavior and motivations from the written histories that we have to draw from. And isn't that what Maslow's hierarchy of needs specifically addresses? We, as a species, are compelled to fulfill certain needs that start at a basic survival, and as these needs are met, we can pursue more pleasurable academic or philosophical endeavors. From that perspective, there is nothing new under the sun. We all have basic needs, strengths, flaws, and weaknesses that transcend time and culture. If you're like me and believe that we are imagers of our creator, there is little room for discrimination between other people based on their genetic profile. If you're convinced that our species has evolved from lower life forms, there is an implicit belief that not all humans are equal, is there not? How could every genetic line of succession be equidistantly positioned in this evolutionary hierarchy? Think about it. Would not some genetic lines be more evolved and some less, necessarily? This is one of the mysteries that's kind of bothered me for a while. I readily admit that genetic adaptations occur in species based on environmental pressures. It is a fact that has been shown to be indisputable through research, and to deny that seems like willful blindness. Does that mean that some humans are further along in the evolutionary process? I know. Even to ask that question is stepping out onto thin ice. But that's not what I believe at all. I'm asking if that might be the conclusion drawn by a belief in macroevolution. Can you see how the two concepts of equality and evolution could be perceived as incompatible? I personally believe in actual equality amongst all humanity, and I reject the idea that there are superior human beings who are further along the evolutionary path. As far as I can tell, there are plenty of people who believe we descended from lower life forms. And so it follows that we, as a species, 
would necessarily be differentiated across a spectrum of progression along the line of evolutionary advancement. There are also many people who believe that we have evolved into the penultimate species, that we've evolved as far as nature can take us, and that the next stage of evolution will have to be guided evolution, otherwise known as transhumanism. This is, in my opinion, absurd hubris and paradoxical scientific inconsistency. I want to touch back on the issue of equality. As I said, I believe that we are imagers of our creator and that humans are, were created to be what they are and have not evolved from lower life forms. And this may seem like absolute scientific heresy to many. Such a statement is often scoffed at even these days. But it's fairly obvious to me that the science of evolutionary biology has taken many liberties that are unscientific to say the least. It is an intriguing rabbit hole for anyone who's open-minded enough to consider something that contradicts the dominant narrative in science. One major problem with the theory of macroevolution, that being the belief that a simple life form can evolve into a more complex life form, is that it proposes environmental stressors can somehow in introduce new genetic code through mutation. Mutation is not a creative process. It can change the structural configuration of an existing genetic code. Uh, it cannot change what isn't there. To refer to my recent article in Substack, that would be like trying to spin gold from straw or change water into wine. It would take a miracle. Something else to consider. Now, let's look at the difference between equality and equity and how that relates to evolutionary or creation-based theories of our origin as a species. When I say that I believe that equality and not equity is the proper approach to the question of humanity, I mean that I do not believe that any one human is more advanced than any other human. There is certainly much diversity in appearance, genetic variations of skin tone and facial features, for two examples. But I don't believe anyone is more or less evolved than anyone else. That means that everyone has the same inherent status and worth. That's equality. Equity is about leveling the playing field. It holds within an, an implicit bias that proposes an inherent inequality between people that is more than superficial. It's often passed off as just a matter of unjust practices by varying classes of people that have historically taken advantage of other classes of people. People are tribalistic in nature, and the entire written history of mankind attests to the way people have oppressed each other. That goes for everyone across the board. The inconsistency that I am pointing out here is the stated belief in a strictly materialist Darwinian survival of the fittest paradigm, paradoxically juxtaposed against the stated belief that the survival of the fittest is an unjust paradigm for humanity to operate within. Let me break that statement down. It's trying to have your cake and eat it too. Equity implies a hierarchy a system of inequality that requires intervention on the part of the superior class to level the playing field for the lesser classes. I'm not saying that I believe there is a superior class. I'm saying that the proponents of equity believe it, and their actions speak louder than their words. Equity is antithetical to the concept of equality. People hear the term equity and they get this warm, fuzzy feeling about social justice. But what they fail to see is the lack of humility and the smugness 
that equity brings with it. This is the real face of white supremacy. This is the morbid indulgence of affluent white liberals. It is the same fundamental concept that eugenicists use to stratify human beings. Sure, it's the kinder, gentler version of it, but it's just lipstick on a pig. It's the back door in, it's abhorrent, it's anti-human, and it's anti-God. I don't want to beat this dead horse to a pulp, but I think there's an important question that needs an answer. Do we believe that people are inherently equal or not? And you may be saying to yourself, equity is not about whether or not people are of equal worth, it's about economics and opportunity. And I understand the distinction between the two. And it's tempting to look at history and point to the many cases where one group of people intentionally suppressed the rights and opportunities afforded another group of people. It's tempting to want to balance those scales in some way. It's a noble desire to want equal opportunities for all. I'm on board with equal opportunities. What happens, though, what happens with equity is that what starts as a noble desire for reconciliation turns into a crusade for retribution. This does not bring people together or inspire healing. What it does is divide them into categories of oppressed and oppressors. The line between the two is necessarily arbitrary, as we are all one species, and history has proven that all people have the same propensity for selfishness and tribalism. What our forefathers did or didn't do is besides the fact, or more accurately, behind the fact of what we choose to do now. Equity, in and of itself, assumes a purity of genes that is hierarchical in nature. This will be an unpopular thesis, I know, but one that I believe holds true. These people that look like this, or whose ancestors live in such and such place, have an unfair advantage over these other people of lesser status who need retroactive interventions in order to bridge the gap of their inherent ineptitude. You begin to see how divisive and corrosive such a system of beliefs can be. This is what people are referring to now as the woke perspective. It's the cornerstone of critical race theory and the LGBTQ agenda, specifically the trans aspect of the agenda. There is a culture of victimhood that is sold as altruism. And more on that delightful term in the next episode, where we'll be um, welcoming back Pete G for a discussion. I don't, for one moment, deny the fact that certain groups of people have victimized and abused other groups of people all throughout history. The present day has many examples all over the world, and slavery is not gone from the world. It takes many forms, and there is no continent that is free of it. I know that right now the Western world is intensely focused on race and ethnicity. I've been outright told that I am the recipient of much unearned privilege based on the melanin content of my skin, my religion, my gender, and my sexual orientation. I'm led to believe that my very person is one of incarnate oppression and that I must atone for the sins of my fathers. I reject this line of reasoning, and not because I don't want to see justice in the world or out of white fragility, whatever that is. I don't know what it's like to be anyone else. Nobody does. We can do our best to treat people with respect and with dignity and treat them the way they deserve to be treated just because they're fellow human beings. What we shouldn't do, what we should never do, is presume that someone is less capable because of the color of their skin or any other arbitrary categorization applied to them. This is the crux of the whole thing. 
We are all individuals. We are all unique personalities, but we are all also just people. The idea that you can vilify a whole segment of humanity is totally contradictory to the concept of equality. It's not only unjust for the quote-unquote oppressors, but also for the quote-unquote oppressed. It takes the responsibility for our own actions and thrusts it upon others. It tears people apart. It creates scapegoats, and it adds to the actual burdens of all the people in the world. It says to all who have struggled, you aren't good enough. You can't make it because you have such and such characteristic or genetic makeup. It says you only have what you have because you were given it, or you don't have such and such because it was taken away from you unjustly. And how cynical and arrogant is it to assume that people are either victims or victimizers, and only in those two classes? How discouraging and disenfranchising is it to, to dismiss each individual's personal life experience in such a manner? How insulting is it to tell people that they have less potential because they were unfortunate enough to have the wrong genetic makeup or geographical birthplace? Humanity has proven time and again that we are flawed and we are tribalistic, that we are selfish and have dark motivations. Humanity, on the whole, is a mess. But we are all unique personalities with inherent worth. We all have the ability to choose whether or not we will love others as we love ourselves. There are many well-intentioned people who have bought into this lie that equity is a noble goal. They see injustice in the world and they want to make it right. I applaud the sentiment, but I reject the premise that entire groups of people carry the guilt of their forefathers. That goes for every race and creed. The push for equity over equality is an unjust and burdensome paradigm. There might very well be well-intentioned people who have accepted this narrative. I know there are, but it is false and counterproductive. It stems from a Darwinian belief that some people are less evolved and capable than others. It divides people and steals motivation from those who have faced hardship by telling them their lot in life has been predetermined for them. These are the thoughts that I propose. But there may be a better approach to life. In Matthew 22, Jesus is tested by a lawyer who is trying to trip him up, and he says this, quote, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. End quote. All the law and the prophets summed up in two succinct statements. Two statements that changed the world, that changed my life. I challenge you to spend some time contemplating this wisdom. He might have said it over 2,000 years ago, but I believe it's just as true today. After all, there's nothing new under the sun. For all you listening, you are valued, you are loved, and you are worthy. God bless, and good night. There's no turning back once the fire's lit, let the embers glow and be done with it. 
words I'm startled by my lack of fear as a world I love turns 